0: Hello, this is Patrick Kaelin, Sheriff of Hampshire County. If you're a college student interested in learning about the field of criminal justice, the Hampshire Sheriff's Office would like to talk to you about our summer intern program. Your internship will matter, not just to the clients we serve, but also to the people of Hampshire County who rely on us to protect public health and safety. Interested in making a difference? Please visit our website, hampshiresheriffs.com, and submit an application online or call 413-584-5911 and ask for our HR department.
1: This show may contain subject matters not suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You are
2: not a burden. You are a resource. Our country is running out of the workforce we need to grow and prosper. The millions of people who, because of a criminal record, are not employed to the best of their potential, are our best solution to this problem. Jeffrey Korzenek. Hi, I'm Lisa Riley, and each week we're here to share stories that shine a light on not only justice involved individuals or underdogs in the game of life, but their struggles, their successes, and also the powerful resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is the Hustler File. <laughs> April is Second Chance Hiring Month. And today's guest parlayed his career as a chief investment strategist at one of the country's largest commercial banks into the realm of studying social issues that plague workforce growth, which led him to take a deep dive into the intersection of the criminal justice system and the labor markets. He's been featured on multiple other podcasts and appears frequently on Fox Business, CNBC and Bloomberg, and in 2021 published his first book, Untapped Talent, How Second Chance Hiring Works for Your Business business, and the community. Welcome, Jeff Korzenik, to The Hustler Files.
3: Thank you so much for having me on.
2: I am beyond thrilled. I bought your book a few months ago. I somehow, you and I got connected on LinkedIn a couple years ago, but then I came across your book, and I bought it, and it is filled with sticky notes and highlights, and I am just mind boggled by the amount of research in this book. Now, how long did it take you to write this book?
3: The book took me about a year, but it was while working full time. So I I did things like took weeks, several weeks of vacation away from my family to work on the manuscript. And and, uh, towards the end, procrastinator that I am, I was up till 1am most mornings working on it and things like that.
2: Well, it is a marvelous book, and there's so much in it, and we're not going to have enough time to get to everything today, but I'm going to do our best to get us through what I think and I believe you think are are some of the more important um, highlights of the book. Let's start at the beginning. How did you get involved in the prison reform um, second chance hiring movement?
3: Uh, Purely for Professional reasons. Uh, I uh, part of my job is to study the economist, and, uh, and, uh, and this year I was actually named uh, the uh, chief economist for, for the commercial bank for which I work. Uh, and the big question about ten years ago is wh- why are we mi- why were we missing so many people from the labor force? And most economists essentially shrugged their shoulders and said, "Well, this is what it is." and I chose to dive deeper, and I came to the data-driven conclusion that social ills were of such a magnitude in the United States in the last 20 years that they had actually become economic problems. And the three main ones, and they're all interconnected, are long-term unemployment, the opioid epidemic, and being touched by the justice system and all of those were enormous barriers to workforce growth so i started identifying the problem and then quite frankly by accident i uh, on the recommendation of my wife's niece i went to a, a restaurant in charlotte north carolina called the king's kitchen it's a nonprofit run by the uh, most prominent restaurateur in, in Charlotte, who uh, chose to create a restaurant as a training ground for helping people who've come out of prison or been homeless or recovered from addiction, help them reintegrate into the economy. And I saw the potential solution. I knew there was a labor, market, uh, labor shortage coming just based on demographics. So I started collecting companies that had done this right and realized that they all shared a common model of success and felt I should study that model and write about it.
2: Wow. Um, So this was a decade ago. So we're talking 2013, 2014?
3: Yeah, 2013 was when I identified the problem. 2015 was when I started seeing the solution. And uh, it is such a complex problem with issues of poverty and race and law all intertwined. It really took a long time to... Undo that knot, and by 2018, I felt comfortable to start writing publicly and speaking about it. Uh, but I found that uh, CEOs, which is a very common audience for me, I speak to thousands of business executives and CEOs every year as, as part of my, my day job as an economist. Um, I would find they could get very excited. They go back to their place of work and say, "We should think about this," and then they get beaten down by maybe their chief legal officer, or maybe their chief human resource officer. And they had no ammunition to fight that negativity and that pushback. And so I recognize that a book would be a very, very valuable addition to this field.
2: I want to let listeners know that there is a lot of information in this book that relates to data analysis, correct? Correct.
3: There, there is, uh, but it, I, I hope I've gone beyond that. I, I never wanted to write a book where I felt people had to be math-oriented and uh, adept at reading uh, economic graphs. This is really written for people who want to look forward look at opportunities for hiring people, looking at, look at opportunities to solve these terrible intergenerational social ills. And so I, I, I at least tried to make it friendlier than your average uh, business book. And, and then there's one other edition, which I'm sure you saw. There, there's a foreword, which is actually directed to people who are currently incarcerated. And that was an important addition uh, to the book for me as well.
2: And you will know that um, I took one of your quotes from the beginning of that forward for the beginning of this show. Um, and I've used a few of your other quotes in a few of our other shows and given you credit for them. So um, I, I think that you really have an impact in how you can speak to this. And maybe that's because you've been speaking to people who need not only the jobs, but also need the, the help, right? So it's been a cross sword, right? You're, you're kind yeah. of on both sides of the fence.
3: Yeah, well, I view it as to move our economy forward to be a more prosperous society and also have safer communities and stronger families. It can't be just one side of the equation solving the issue. You can't just say it's all about a job without looking at the conditions upon which people are raised and, and their life experience. Um, and you have to, you have to meet get people to meet in the middle. And so um, I've spent um, a lot, well, my life has been greatly enriched by now having a whole bunch of good friends who are formerly incarcerated and not, you know, boring Ivy League Wall Streeters like me. Um, And it's just been a great life journey all, all around, talking at the same time to CEOs and people coming out of prison. I mean, how many people have you know that blessing in their life to have that kind of diverse experience among friends?
2: I couldn't agree with you more. I started this journey back in 2018 and did some work in California inside a couple of the prisons and met inmates. And it just fueled my passion that and I say it all the time that so many of the people I've met um, even now for this show are just some of the brightest and most well-spoken people I've ever met. And somehow they just did something stupid and ended up behind behind the wall.
3: Yeah, you know, your observation is spot on. Uh, the overwhelming characteristic of people who go into prison for the first time is that they are poor and they are young. And they and young people, we know, whether you want to express it neurologically or however you want to look at it, young people make a lot of mistakes. And if you are poor, those some of those mistakes can lead to a criminal record. And then once you're caught in that system, it's very hard to break out. M- most people who are in prisons are not, criminal masterminds, they're dumb kids who made a big mistake.
2: Absolutely. And um, we hear them on the news every day. And every time I hear one of those stories, I think, well, they're off to a jail cell somewhere. And Lord knows how long it'll take to rehabilitate them and bring them back through a reentry program. I love your chapter on the people we call criminal. It has some really impactful statements. It talks about i think one of the things i love one of the things i love most about it is you you have a section called the critic the critical question are criminals bad people and you say in here and i've said this on so many of my shows and just so many people i speak to that um We are all one step away at some point in our life from being incarcerated, right? And you say it in here. Did you ever smoke pot or take illicit drugs, drive intoxicated, trespass, shoplift or otherwise steal, vandalize, get into a physical fight? And I love that you touched on that because that is such an important facet of what you were just talking about, that, you know, youth and stupidity takes people down this road.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. One of the things that's been really interesting for me as a person is I've become far less judgmental. I, I used to think bad, you know, criminals are bad people. Well, I, I, I'm less judgmental. There are people who do bad things, and some of them keep doing bad things. But who am I to judge? And um, I just observe behaviors um, rather than make judgment on people. And what you realize is that there are a lot of people who are fundamentally not what any of us would think of as bad people who just did something stupid stupid. And um, and then once you understand all the roadblocks that lie in front of them, you realize that those who have rehabilitated and have rejoined society are really people of great character because of all the obstacles they've had to o- overcome to prove that they are more than their worst mistake.
2: So let's talk for a second, because we're going to go into a break pretty soon, you have another section in this chapter called What the Employer Fears, and I love that because you're out talking and have been for years to CEOs, and you're telling us that CEOs were all for this you know, resource of employee flux into their industry or their businesses, but it was the HR departments and, and some of the board members that said, no, 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 we can't go down that path. What is it that employers really fear at the deepest level?
3: There are really three fears, and and everything fits into these three categories. One is safety and related liability. The second fear is this fear that uh, somehow a criminal record is a reflection on someone's ability to do quality work. And then the final one, a public reputation fear.
2: I Love that you broke it down into three very easy pieces to digest. Jeff, we need to take a quick break. If you could stick around, there's so much more we need to untap here. Hope you don't mind I stole that little pun. I love it.
1: (laughs) And we'll be right back, so don't touch that dial. Employment, housing, identifying documents, addiction treatment, education, veteran services, and legal advocacy. They're all part of what we offer at the all-inclusive support services center of the Hamden County Sheriff's Office. We provide services to justice-involved individuals as well as the general public with the goal of improving community safety and the quality of life across Western Massachusetts. Don't let life's challenges lock you up. Be a step ahead. For a hand up, Stop by 736 State Street in Springfield or visit us at hcsdma.org.
0: Hello, this is Patrick Kalene, the Sheriff of Hampshire County. If you're looking for a career helping people, the Hampshire Sheriff's Office is hiring in many of our departments. We take great pride in our commitment to returning the men in our care to their communities in better health than when they arrived. Your work will matter, not just to the clients we serve, but also to the people of Hampshire County who rely on us to protect public health and safety. If you're interested in making a difference, please visit the Mass Careers website for more information.
2: Welcome back to this week's The Hustler Files. If you're just joining us, we're here today with Jeff Korzenik, author of Untapped Talent, How Second Chance Hiring Works for Your Business and the Community. Jeff, thank you again for joining us today. There's so much here to unpack and talk about, but I want to dive in a little bit about the success stories you've encountered over the last decade in this second chance hiring model.
3: Uh, happy to do that. It's it's We are in a talent shortage in this economy, the likes of which we have never seen. And it's going to persist, I think, for a decade or longer. The single most overlooked pool of talent in the United States is the pool of people who have criminal records.
2: Well, and we know that 95 percent of people that are currently incarcerated will get out. And it's important that we provide not only public safety, but if people are gainfully employed, they're less likely to recidivate.
3: That, that is true. That I always take the case of the employer's perspective. If they hear a story about public safety or community well-being, they may well write a check to charity, but they will only hire people who can add value to their em- enterprise. So um, I agree with the moral case. I agree with the community case. But the lane that I stay in is making the pure business case uh, for this, and it's a strong case.
2: So you list in your in the back of the book, in acknowledgments, quite a few second-chance hiring firms. And we've actually had one on the show. I think it was show number four or five, a gentleman uh, named Mel O'Leary. Are you familiar with him?
3: Not familiar with him.
2: Okay. He owns a company called Meredith Springfield. He does a lot of Fortune 100 um, companies are part of his business model in making uh, Uh, Plastic blown containers. And he's been working just with the Springfield, the Hamden County Sheriff's Department for over 20 years with second chance hiring. And he has had unbelievable success. So I was that I mean, this has just been I, I don't think we can talk enough about companies that are doing this work.
3: What's always amazing to me is you might have in the same industry, in the same geography, one CEO who will insist, oh, that couldn't possibly work, when across town is someone who's making it work and making it work well. And and by work well, I always think it's important to define uh, this as a talent model. You are finding people who are a good fit for your openings, who will not only be a body filling a chair, but will be loyal and engaged employees. Because if you have people who uh, care about their job, and stick with you. They tend to be very productive employees and any business person will tell you productivity is a key to profitability. So this is a this is a business proposition and uh, I, I have been fortunate to meet employers like that who have been really pioneers they 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 perhaps took what was perceived as a chance uh refined their process their talent acquisition and talent development process uh to to meet the needs of this community and they end up with a great workforce when they do it right and i have to stress that do it right because sometimes employers don't do it the right way. Uh, they they look at this as lowering their standards. You know, if you don't go looking for talent, you won't find it. Or they don't understand how you have to develop and support this particular talent pool in ways that might be different than hiring out of uh, out of a business school or, or a more traditional route. Uh, but it does work, and it works in the pure business sense, which is terrific.
2: So you mentioned a few companies in the back of the book: Butterball Farms, yes. uh, Dave's Killer Bread.
3: Well, you know, the many companies I mentioned in the book, I spent perhaps the most time uh, and certainly the most page space in the book talking about uh, JBM packaging, which is a second generation envelope maker. And uh, I, I love this story. There you know, many companies I could have chosen, but I chose this one uh, because they've come so far and it's been such a uh, great example. Uh, this was a company, The, the um, one of the, the children of the founder bought the company from his father, continued it. They are located about an hour outside of Cincinnati in Lebanon, Ohio, uh, and they ran out of labor, like many, many Companies are, are doing right now. JBM, perhaps because it's a more rural location, ran out of, of workers earlier, and they tried everything. Uh, they they tried uh, older workers. They had tours for high schoolers to tra- attract uh, uh, graduates into their into their manufacturing plant, and nothing was working. The uh, CEO of the company um, actually at his church heard about a Cincinnati company that was doing this second chance hiring, and he went to visit and was instantly saw grasped that this was a viable labor source. Um, interestingly, his father, the, the the founder of the company, thought he was crazy to do it. He got a lot of pushback initially from existing employees. A- and early on, not everything worked out. So with the CEO, Marcus Shang, I-, I have to give him tremendous credit for his perseverance in this and aligning his executive team uh, with this mission. Here's where it's ended up. They've gone from a labor shortage that was holding back their growth and a lot of resistance to this idea to being one of the preeminent second chance employers in the country, one that has offered to be an example uh, to to others. They've gone from no employees with records to about a quarter to a third of their workforce. They've gone from a labor shortage to no labor problem. They've had enough workers that they've been able to expand their uh, business dramatically, outpacing peers. They ended up setting up a paid training program in an Ohio state prison. Uh, They actually had an employee who had done something wrong, was sent to a prison. They had him transferred to another prison that had the HVAC um, uh, infrastructure that would allow them to put a manufacturing machine in there. They donated a machine to the prison. They had this trainer there. And now they have a steady pipeline of people who are already trained and hence can be paid a living wage right out, out of the gates. Um, they set up this incredible support infrastructure for employees who maybe had no work experience before, maybe didn't have clothes for work, maybe uh, didn't have transportation. They, they hired a life coach. So it's transformed the lives of these many employees. It has also um, helped their business because once you start thinking outside the box about talent, you think outside the box in other ways. So they've embraced... Um, Eco-friendly packaging, or try to lead a, a transformation away from plastic to other kinds of packaging. Uh, they've got a very vibrant uh, mission and vision statement. They live every day. They, when they expanded their business because of this abundance of labor force, instead of expanding their existing facilities in a rural seat, they went into inner city Cincinnati, which looks like many other tough underinvested inner cities and they have 20 or 30 workers there because they know that that's a community that has lots of talent if you know how to tap it so it's been just a a wonderful example that I love to share
2: That just sounds so amazing and so impactful and I use that word a lot but it is in this in this forum of conversation about prison reform and second chance hiring and the people that get locked up when they should be rehabilitated anything that brings impact to the conversation and can be shared, I think is impact is what we're here for, right?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is this is it's hard to overstate the impact because it's not just helping one person get a job, it's helping their family. It's helping break these multi-generational cycles of imprisonment and poverty. So it 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 transforms lives and it transforms communities. But I keep going back to this is only going to work. You're only going to be able to scale it up to the 19 million Americans with felony convictions if you could do this in a way that's profitable for businesses to uh, to pursue this.
2: And that's a whole other conversation, right? We'd have to do that. It, it <laughs> We'd have yeah. to do that in another show to talk yeah. about, about that.
3: Conceptually, it's pretty simple. You hire people who are, you f- figure out how do you have people who are a good fit, and then you give them the tools they need to thrive. It's just the details with this population are so different than... The upbringing of most CEOs—that they, they, there needs to be a process of education and uh, and intention to make this work.
2: You have a chapter called "The Costs of Inaction." What are those costs? What what happens when we we are um, when we just ignore this subject and don't worry about what the future of of, of our employment world looks like?
3: So, so there are societal, you know, costs of these these you know, communities that are plagued by crime and dysfunctional families and just, you know, terrible misery that's embedded with those. Uh, But I'm going to go back to the economics. The foundation of growth in any economy rests only on two pillars. How fast can you grow your workforce and how fast can you grow the productivity of your workforce? We have 19 million people with felony convictions, tens of million more with misdemeanors or other um, criminal records that can impact their ability to get a job. Right now, if we do nothing, our growth pace in the United States is gonna be um, at best below 2%. That's, that's the analysis of the Congressional Budget Office because we stopped having enough babies 20 and 30 years ago to fuel the kind of workforce growth that used to deliver those sort of 3 and 4% type growth. The other factor is this idea of growing productivity. A lot of economists think of that in terms of, you know, investing in machinery and, and software, but it's also very much in making sure that people can contribute to the economy, workers, employees can contribute to the economy to the full degree of their capability, which means education, training, and critically, uh, something called economic mobility. That means I have the ability to move from an entry-level job at one company to a mid-level job at another company to a senior-level job at another company. And people with criminal records tend to have terrible barriers to economic mobility. So you lose both on workforce growth and you lose on productivity growth if we're not fully incorporating this population of our fellow citizens into our workforce.
2: That's really fascinating. And I'm so grateful that you shared all that and you broke it into these twin pillars because I think it makes it easier for us as listeners to digest the enormity of what we're of what this this product is of what of what's happening in our society. We're running out of time unfortunately. I have one final question for you that I did not um, queue up with you and uh, I ask most of my guests I get to this in most of my guest interviews and I'm a believer we all have life assignments. Um, maybe they change throughout our lives, but we've all, we're all given some assignment and some of us succeed at them and some of us fail at them. Um, but we all have them. And do you believe you have a life assignment? And if you do, what has it been?
3: I, I, I think this is my life assignment, uh, is to help people live lives of contribution and meaning. And, uh, you know, my, my deepest, darkest fear, what keeps me up at night is to feel I'm not doing enough. And, uh, But I know I'm doing something, and uh, I'm always looking for ways to do more in this because I know I have a body of knowledge that can help others.
2: Well, you definitely have a body of knowledge, and I think you put a lot of it into this book. But just talking to you, I love listening to how you explain everything and you break it all down so you make it simple for people to really grasp the mission that you're on. And, Jeff, how do people find your book?
3: Um it's it's on Amazon or wherever you Fine books are sold, I guess is the the phrase. My uh, publisher is HarperCollins, uh, HarperCollins Leadership Imprint, which is widely distributed. Um, I have a website which has video interviews and podcasts and and, uh, articles I've written on the subject beyond the book, as well as links to purchasing the book through major booksellers or even be able to order it through your local, to the benefit of your local bookseller. Uh, And the website is jeffkorzenik.com, J e f f k o r z e n i k com. I'm, I'm the only Jeff Korzenik on the planet. So uh, if you can get close to the spelling, you can find my website.
2: And unfortunately, we have to say goodbye. Jeff, thank you for your time and for being a change maker in Second Chance Hiring. I look forward to your new projects coming out. I'll look forward to having you back on the show in the future. And again, thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you. And thanks to your listeners for, for tuning in.
2: We'll be right back in a minute to wrap up this week with The Hustler Files. This is Lisa Riley.
1: Sit tight. More to come. The Hamden County Sheriff's Office is not your average law enforcement agency. Our correctional staff provide a firm but fair approach to corrections as we change countless lives for the better. In the community, Sheriff Nick Kochi's never-say-no philosophy has evolved the field of community policing, bridging the divide between residents and the unmet needs in our neighborhoods. If you want to help make the world a better place while earning a good salary with great health insurance, paid time off, and a pension, please visit hcsdma.org and click Join the Team to apply today. And today's final thoughts come from Glennon Doyle.
2: Get Untamed, the journal. We are like computers, and our beliefs are the software with which we're programmed. Often, our beliefs are programmed into us without our knowledge, by our culture, community, religion, and family. Even though we don't choose those subconscious programs, they run our lives. They control our decisions, perspectives, feelings, and interactions so they determine our destiny. What we believe, we become. There is nothing more important than unearthing what we really believe to be true about ourselves and our world. And that's a wrap for today. It is my hope that the stories and changemakers we share each week release limiting beliefs, create impactful conversations, and activate change. A huge weekly thank you to our producer, Leah, and of course our guests and advertisers for their support. You can find this show and all of our shows on the WHMP.com podcast page and also on any of your favorite podcast sites. If you'd like to reach out with any questions or comments, you can email me at lisa@whmp.com. Have a wonderful week ahead. And remember, don't be ashamed of your story. It will inspire others. See you next week right here on The Hustler Files.